0: A show about business, crime,
1: parapolitics, and esoterica with your host, Jimmy Fallon Gong. All right. Today, I am joined by Marcus from the podcast, The Return of the Repressed. So Marcus has written, you know, an article that appears on that lovely website, the Jonestown.edu website run by San Diego University. Anyone who's looked into Jonestown at all has probably come across that website. Lord knows I've been on it a lot. It has the Hogan and Judge articles on there. So Marcus, he's an interesting guy. Uh, he has wandered for years as a mendicant monk throughout Asia. And now he has a podcast. Like I said, The Return of
2: the Repressed. How are you doing today, Marcus? I'm doing pretty good, man. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure being here. You know, I've been listening to you for what is it now yeah two years i think and uh well one and a half at least no probably two years so it's a it's strange having like you know i know your voice very well and now there's (laughs) you know it's responsive as well it's interactive it's always trippy yeah hey yeah you're (laughs) live that's great
1: yeah no it's funny because i think it was well when i listen to podcasts i do like 1.5 or sometimes two point speed. So, like when I first talked to like Subliminal Jihad or the Trillbillies, I was like, why are they talking so slow?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 I would imagine that's true. Yeah, sometimes that happens to me when I do like when you're, uh, I do reverb on some like sounds or uh, some like music, Mm -hmm. and then you, you, then you, you know, you come across the song again. Uh, in its normal format, and then yeah, it, it take it's so quick to get, like you know to readjust yourself, and you're like, what? This is not mm-hmm. the way it's meant to sound. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Before we get into the meats of what we're going to talk about today, I gotta ask Marcus. Mm-hmm. So, what is the repressed that is
2: returning? Oh, fuck me, yeah. I said, you know, I I I know you like the. Um, uh, I think you mentioned it on your show before. Uh, I was trying to like come up with a you know like a final summary of everything that we are going to talk about mm-hmm. and like you know what does it mean you know for America or like what does it mean for the western world you know like some big question and I think it's that 's the wrong way like as soon as you try to make some kind of conclusion you know like this was the anticipated effect, then you're already like alienating yourself from. From the true purpose of, you know, some a project as big as this, and mm. so I was about to say, right, that you 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 like um, that article the uh, that is titled uh, the black hole in Guyana, right? It's a uh, oh yeah, I yeah. would consider myself a fan for sure, right? Yeah, 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 and I and I and I think yeah, that was one of the first uh, conspiracy oriented ones, or like let's say extra alternative readings of of what happened in Guyana and I think the title is so good because you know like a black hole it's like socially speaking a black hole is something you know that is less than nothing right like it's got a a tremendous amount of gravity to just suck in any explanation that you might have and so Mm. the whole you know like the whole project will appear as uh whatever you want it to appear as you know later for for let's say the christian right it would be a you know the the crown jewel of like anti-leftist you know don't start messing with like you know social projects when you're in church you know we're conservative things should be the way they are when you Mm -hmm. start trying to you know make the world a better place see what happens right and uh, to the left it might seem you know like i even mentioned it i think on my show you know it's it has this uh, kind of uh, foreclosed uh, guilty pleasure uh, of you know just going away from cap- the capitalist society or world and and you know trying to do something outside of it you know like just make a small commune with your good friends get high grow some crops you know <laughs> it's got this lure to it right like everybody's guilty of that who's who's have some critique of of the, uh, the contemporary relationships of production
1: yeah I can't tell you how many times I've seen like people in internet left spaces who are like why don't we just like buy some land we can like gross and like they're they end up basically describing Jonestown yeah,
2: yeah yeah yeah, that's the terrifying that's a terrifying thing you know like because I'm also you know I, I've been a farmer for a long time as well you know often when I was uh you mentioned earlier when I was a medical monk you know I would stop over at at farms in Asia, right? Like in Indonesia, Malaysia, Japan, and and, and China. Obviously, most of uh, uh, the time. And and so I, I've been in these kind of you know, every, obviously nothing as extreme as Jonestown, not even as big. You know, it's quite big. It's almost a thousand people. You know, but um, yeah, uh, uh, it's it's eerie. You know, it's eerie. This feeling of like. He's right about a lot of things. Like <laughs> I catch myself again and again being kind of impressed by Jim Jones. Like that's that's really scary, you know. Like you lie down, you're like, "Motherfucker, it makes sense." Like get him, Jimmy, get him. <laughs> yeah. So well, So it's got a little bit of everything, I think, for everyone. And that's uh, you know, I think that speaks a lot to uh, you know. Well, we we will get through it, you know, today, hopefully, and we, we'll find some, you know, clues as to what was the purpose of this whole thing, you know, like, what, what is it? How are we supposed to read it? But, uh yeah, granted, there is something about it that is, like, it wants to be read in a lot of different ways, and it can't really be captured, and that's, you know, then that's the perfect psyop, I guess. Yeah, because we were
1: talking about it, and, like, for certain super deep events like jonestown or i don't know say oklahoma city or like 9-11 or some you know yeah yeah. there's like there's never just like one sentence that can just explain everything that's going on like and you're right like people can take different pieces usually true real pieces of the puzzle and like yeah, yeah. project, you know, what boils down to like a one sentence explanation as to what happened. And mm. it never, for a lot of these, it doesn't ever explain everything. Like, no. And uh, that isn't true for like normal events. For normal events, you frequently yeah. can, you know?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly like that's maybe why people are so bothered sometimes when things, you know, that they would want to hear more about is taken off the media because. I mean, no, because the media knows already like this is now, you know, fully inscribed into the symbolic register or whatever, you know, like you have a narrative now, whereas some things, yeah, like now we've been saying it a lot. Like, wh- what was it? I think a lot of newspapers, even now, like when there was uh, some anniversary quite recently, they reemphasized this thing that that uh, until nine eleven, I think Jonestown was the biggest uh, mass death of uh, Americans in one deliberate act or something like that. It's called mm-hmm. like, you know... And, and you know, that speaks volumes, obviously. Like, why... Uh, because, uh, yeah, I mean, in my conclusion later, I think we'll, we'll come into this whole like, what is the narrative that is starting to take place around this time, you know, Operation Cyclone starts in 1981, right? Uh, the funding <laughs> of the what will become, you know, the Mujahideen, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, everything, you know, like this whole... Uh, this whole, you know, perfect enemy uh, and per well, perfect ally and perfect enemy, I guess, and um, it ends or well, I mean, it, it reaches a uh, you know, undoubtedly it reaches some kind of climax, right, with nine eleven, and so you know, it would be it would be interesting to uh, yeah try to, to try to say something about that eventually um, when we get to some kind of you know area of conclusion, yeah, but. Um, yeah. Should um uh should should I try to like start like where I would want to start talking about this? Like, in what way does it make a sense to start talking about Jonestown? In an
1: article that you wrote, you said it has been said in some fashion by almost everyone who has seriously written about Jonestown that stories of this magnitude end up involving more questions than answers. Now, I wanted to ask you, Marcus, because you wrote that I definitely feel that way. I I'm assuming you still feel that way about Jonestown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe before we get way into it, do we want to lay out just a couple of the main things that we feel like we don't have good answers to with Jonestown?
2: Yeah, that's that that that's uh, that would be like a a load off my back actually, somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, because there is plenty. I mean, um uh, i i know you recently you took interest uh, in in my uh i don't know deviations into the whole thread of um uh the red brigade or the red brigade guards security like they have a lot of names but uh, i'll stick with like red brigade guards which was like the armed wing of uh, um of the community um i think like in that area everything gets really kind of murky. You know, there's a lot of indication as to what kind of like guerrilla activities was going on in, in Guyana. Uh, but for good reasons, or you know, they aren't good, but if we are right uh, that there is something to it, then there wouldn't be much information about something like that. Because there is still a lot of, you know, civil wars going on in, in Africa, a lot of warlordism. And Guyana serves as a kind of really good a uh, strategic place for uh, America to uh, train troops because it's, you know, it's in the most inhospitable, inhospitable jungle in the world, I think. Like, there it's like, even in, in its very nature, it's a kind of black spot, right? Like, you can't find things there. Like, it, it's mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's so out there and it's so far away. And it's also, you know they speak English, right? Which is also why I think a great reason why Jones went there, because in most parts of South America and Central America, they speak Spanish, right? And then they also speak, um, well, they don't speak, but, you know, it's a uh, close, pro- close proximity to Brazil. So you could also train uh, Portuguese-speaking people. And so then you have, you know, you open up, you know, Angola, you know, Zimbabwe, Rwanda, uh, not Rwanda, Rhodesia, you know, every, everywhere where they speak English or they speak Portuguese, you could train troops in in, uh, in Guyana. And even if it it you know, I mean I'm not just speculating here because even Forbes Burnham, the president of uh, Guyana at the time, uh well, I'll, I'll get into more details about that later, but you know, he that that was like a big part of his project. He He wanted to uh, make Guyana into a training ground for guerrillas in Africa. That was kind of his returning to Africa, African roots project that he wanted, you know, to let Africa know that if you, you know, want to fight uh, the man, uh, the white man, then you can come here and you can train. And let me
1: ask you, Marcus, because I'm I'm, like, I'm realizing I don't know, actually, Uh, with Burnham. Was he in the non-aligned movement or was he actually like
2: uh, associated with the Soviets? Right. So he's a little bit back and forth, I think, like even at sometimes there is rumors that he's siding more with the, uh, uh, with the third, um, uh, uh, how do we say, w- you know, what would be the, um, the third world according to Mao- Maoist doctrine. Um, so, you know, he's aligning with, uh, with, the the Chinese at one point, at least, you know, that is being mm-hmm. rumored. It seems that he is a little bit, you know, he might as well, you know, he was put in place by the CIA. So he, and he said himself, you know, like, uh, bragging that I'm the only person who's been put in place by CIA, who is also a communist and who has managed to fool the CIA, which is like. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but <laughs> maybe not the only. But maybe, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. We, we'll see about that. <laughs> uh, right. So he, you know, he's very, very strange. Uh, it's real, like you know. That's I think also speaks a lot about you know all the contradiction of Jonestown. That that already Guyana and Forbes Burnham is you know very schizophrenic conditions to to begin with. You know, which is yeah. maybe why they also chose to go over there um because like doing like paramilitary
1: trainings or i guess just straight military trainings to like do you know anti-imperialist struggle like yeah that is not a thing that i would want to go alone without the assistance of i don't know say the soviet union or maybe china (laughs) like
2: right yeah i mean how would you do that where would you they don't i don't think they had a lot of weapons factories in guyana so Mm -hmm. So are you going to start buying, you know, smuggle out weapons from America? Like that doesn't seem very uh, doable. I say, <laughs> sus- yeah, do sustainable, <laughs> doable. Yeah, they did have a lot of uh, connection with uh, Cuba at one point. Then they broke down uh, later as well. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, the non-alignment thing is—it's—it's. Uh, it's, I couldn't really, you know, he's so back and forth. He was also really fundamental in creating the. Uh, uh i i have the name later down in the notes when we get there but you know this um what was it caribbean con like the the uh there was some kind of semi-leftist uh, project to to uh to do some kind of pan caribbean uh, uh organization uh, beyond just you know having each country being aligned with with cuba uh though i think also cuba was a was a member right like i have that later so i can't really
1: yeah, because yeah, of
2: course there was the what was it the uh, OAS that
1: uh, what was it almost every Latin American country except Cuba was a part of. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so interesting, interesting.
2: Yeah, and and uh, yeah, on, on. I mean, there's also a lot of these uh, international labor um, associations, which are all like CIA fronts. I didn't add that much about that, but, uh, um, yeah. They seem to, I think there was one of them I mentioned in my show. I can't, there were so many abbreviations, you know, because there are so many, they so compartmentalized, the whole, um, you know, intelligence project of infiltrating unions and stuff that they have. I think, you know, there were five, six different organizations working in Guyana at the time. And one of them trained, I think, more anti-communist, you know, uh, classes and um, you know strike breakers and things like that um in Guyana than in any other country in, in South America. So they definitely had their eye on this country, the uh not only the CIA and like the American intelligence, but also of course, you know, MI6 and the whole British uh, apparatus since it's uh you know it starts off as a kind of uh, I mean it was a it was a colony for four hundred years, right? And and the British are there until basically Yeah, until Forbes Burnham and and, uh, Chedi Yagan, which is his opposite, which is around, you know, it's in the 50s and the 60s when this is happening. Um, And we will see, you know, interestingly enough, this is exactly the time when when Jones, uh, for some reason, decides that he's going to go to (laughs) Guyana. Uh, Yeah, yeah. no, it was, uh,
1: well, obviously the CIA was very present there, but also AFELD, which was one of those labor organizations that, We actually, like I talked about with the author Rob McKenzie on that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mexican thing, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And so basically, like this, (laughs) this uh, US labor body that did work overseas that was start to finish completely controlled by the CIA <laughs> yeah
2: yeah yeah I don't know like I read some stories over there like when they're even you know it's like some petty CIA people writing in their journals and they're saying you know like you know they're bragging so much like oh the the uh, the strike and the um, the uprising like in Guyana around that time when Forbes Burnham took to power he was like oh this is the greatest success of like uh, CIA. Union uh, infiltration. You know, I'm so happy to be been a part of this and blah blah blah. Yeah, they basically used the, that same playbook of like
1: having the unions opposing. You know, this regime that the U.S. didn't like. They used it in hmm. Guyana, Chile, and I want to say also Brazil.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense, right? I mean, there's got to be a lot more as well, huh? like uh, Uruguay and Paraguay, I guess. Yeah, no, those were like the like a coup
1: occurred type of things, you know, but for sure they were doing it elsewhere too. Mm. Mm. Well, 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 where are they not, you know, (laughs) somehow. Yeah. I was going to say though, real quick with the red brigades, I mean, good Lord, what a provocative name. Like, yeah. Yeah. For a thing that's basically not like a terrorist organization. Like why would you ever name something that, yeah at that stage in history where the only other things called the red
2: brigades are basically yeah. urban guerrilla units. I don't get it either, to be honest, you know, it doesn't sound very, you know, Don seems to have been very good at, you know, keeping things right in between, let's say, you know, back in San Francisco, he's like, he he seems to be almost too good at being this kind of middleman, like between, or like political, you know, middle space between, let's say the, uh Black Panthers and you know the the official left uh uh fractions within you know the California government like uh you know Harvey Milk and, and Mascone uh, Governor Mascone right? Yeah he seemed downright
1: moderate compared to say just the Black Panthers.
2: Yeah yeah from like sure. an outsider like, perspective right mm-hmm mm-hmm and uh yeah he seems to I don't know he plays that but at the same time You know, he's good friends with with either side as well. You know, like he's got he's really like, well, you know, like a spider in the web. Right. He's Mm -hmm. he's everywhere. He's friends with everybody. He's got favor to, you know, call in from everyone. He's helping, you know, people a little bit over here, a little bit over there. He knows how to to work the machine. It seems wheeling and dealing. Yeah. Yeah. So why would he do that? You know, like, why would there be, you know, such a like an eye catching name? and it uh, the, i think that whole thing also like i i went into an, into it a bit in my uh, episode like when i'm talking about when they started with the whole planning commission when 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 it you know was started to become clear that they were turning more militant that you know it didn't just go to you know let's do some you know you know let's have guns in our demonstration or you know let's have uh, Let's try to put some pressure by, I don't know, you know, even a bank robbery would be mild in comparison to what was on the notes of the Planning Commission. I mean, they were researching how to uh, poison the water supply of Washington, (laughs) D.C. I mean, that's far out. That's like not zero to 60. That's
1: like zero to 120. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah yeah. let's turn it up to 120 like <laughs> they're crazy man like why would you yeah well okay actually it's really interesting right because like when you look at leftist like groups that are held out to be examples of what not to do mm-hmm. turns out they don't have like a natural progression like say i'm just gonna th- say this i don't think it's that controversial. Yeah. like the italian red brigades had a very clear period of development where the level of violence slowly escalated Mm -hmm, mm. and that tracks for most relatively organic terrorist organizations.
2: Yeah. Makes sense.
1: And then you look at something like the Symbionese Liberation Army and they just go from like nothing to assassinating school like administrators.
2: Yeah, Yeah. 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 It's just like, it makes no sense right and i mean the sla we're gonna like there's a lot of connection between the sla and jonestown as well mm-hmm. uh i have you know we'll, we'll get there eventually but but yeah that's a good example you know i actually I didn't think about that but yeah that also that's another thing that that connects them you know that they just go from you know unknown it's like they really want to you know make a name for themselves it's a kind of uh <laughs> you know uh, what what uh, um uh what's his name the guy um 50 seconds to march is that uh is that the name of the band jared leto yeah Jared yeah. Letos and and his uh band right wasn't that you know kind of similar thing they just came out of nowhere and then they made like the most expensive music video that was ever been made and you're like yeah this ain't organic you know music industry is it like who who's this guy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Why are you telling me so much that this is something I should be listening to? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That that's you know those are definitely things that should you know catch uh, our attention. I think. All right. Where do
1: you where where should we go from here, Marcus? What do you think makes sense?
2: Yeah. So mm, I had this. You know, uh, we we've, we've been already speculating quite a lot, right? And so maybe people. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, Friends of your show is no strangers to speculation, I think. And, uh, you know, maybe they feel we haven't even speculated enough. Like, you know, this is <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, uh, we say fiedmjölk in Swedish. Like, uh, you know, regular milk. Like, you know, mm. there's not, you know, not very strong stuff. Milk toast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, that's what you say. <laughs> milk toast. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, I but I, I would like to make, you know... A point about uh, uh, so we, we, we talked already about like the Black Horn Guyana and then you also men- mentioned Joe Holzinger, which uh, you know has done a lot of good work, uh, and I, I will cite him at uh, you know numerous occasions, and um, but actually like the whole suspicion let's say that there was something else going on in Jonestown, um, it started a lot earlier like it started even. Uh, right after the event with um oh sorry I, I I said Joe holsinger now that is the guy actually that uh, that I was supposed to refer to uh what what's the name of the, um, G- the jim private hogan. Uh, jim hogan yeah, yeah 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 right, so Jim hogan I'll, I'll cite him uh on on a few occasions and uh but its it all starts i think with uh, this guy then Joe holsinger who was the um the former aide to to Ryan, Leo Ryan, the guy who got assassinated on uh, uh, the Port Kaituma airstrip right outside of uh, Jonestown, which is you know the debacle that that causes the whole thing, or or it's the trigger. Let's say it's not you know the only cause, but it's like the yeah the trigger. And uh, actually, the whole FBI involvement, the reason why we have all of these uh, um, recordings and everything. Uh, that vault or that archive is is uh, labeled the Ryan murder. It's not labeled, you know, the massacre in Jonestown or something. You know, so the whole investigation is actually about Ryan supposedly. Uh, and so this, you know, the aide of Ryan, he goes on a kind of speaking tour and he makes actually an actual accusi- accusi- accusation, accusation. Yeah, he brings the whole thing to. Like a legal dimension of the juridical apparatus of America, mm. uh, accusing, you know, like the, the CIA, basically, like that, you know, you guys did this. Nice. And he brings, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, the man's got, uh, you know, he's onto his something here. And so um, it was presented, I think, he brings an article, which is called the Penal Colony article. Uh, and he presents this to uh, a forum called. Um, the psychosocial implications of the Jonestown phenomenon. And um, according to him, this uh, article, it was written in January 1979 by a Berkeley psychologist who, um, you know, quote, who has asked that his name's, name be withheld. However, it's quite, you know, people have pointed out that it's, you know, with certainty, this is uh, Richard offshe I don't know if he, I'd say his name, last name is kind of strange, offshe o f s h e uh mm-hmm. he was um yeah professor of uh, psych- social psychology at uc uh, berkeley and his wife i think or his uh, some there's a woman that he works closely with you know both of them are very into uh the whole like anti-cult uh, deprogramming that starts to happen after uh, jonestown and uh, especially we'll get to that hospital later but there's a hospital in Called Langley Porter in in uh, San Francisco, and I think he also um, worked there, or like he was a consultant or something. So this uh, article, I was thinking, I, I, I'll read some. I, I've I've picked out some paragraphs from it, uh, quite mm-hmm. a few. So I'll I'll read everything that I that I put down, and then you can you know you can cut out if there if it gets too much or something.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: So. Uh, The CIA was able to recruit the assistance of uh, pharmaceutical companies, state hospitals and police departments in implementing drug experiments. Experimentation throughout the 50s, however, had some inherent flaws. Due to the extreme secrecy of the projects, um, documents indicate that secrecy was extremely high priority and that no means, including murder, were spared to prevent revelation of the program. Experimentation under controlled scientific condition was impossible. All areas of experimentation call for more controlled conditions, while not disturbing the populace' morale and legal conscience. MKUltra shifted gears. Enter Dr. Edgar Sheehan, psychologist, specialist on brainwashing. At a meeting of top prison officials in 1961, Dr. Sheehan called for a ver- veritable campaign of brainwashing, behavior modification and personality alteration of the U.S. prisoner population. Criminals, he argues, did not have a right to their personalities and should be subject to mind control technology in the interest of society and prevention of the American way of life. (laughs) The prison prison officials, not exactly renowned for their love of academics and uh, psychologists, received Dr. Sheehan's plea with great enthusiasm, which became clear 25 years later. Dr. Sheehan had got by with a little help from his friends. He was working for the CIA. By the um, late 60s, behavior control and drug experimentation projects has been extensively implemented in federal and state prisons. The prisons experimented with an assortment of mind-altering and torture drugs, psychosurgery, electrode implementation in the brain, electroshock, aversive uh, conditioning, sensory and sleep deprivation, severe isolation, and so on. And, And I'll just say, he doesn't say that, but I try to pinpoint and each of every one of those things fits in Jonestown. And I'll, you know, as we go mm. through it, we'll, we'll find uh, simultaneously prisons and police stations around the world where the CIA had the strongest influence, Brazil, Uruguay, Greece, Northern Ireland, built ultra modern units uh, for experimentation with mind altering techniques. A particular advantage to the use of prisons uh, was the mind-controlled methods could be developed on carefully controlled groups, raising the science of group dynamics to new heights. The science, incidentally, originated with the Air Force. Carl Rogers, a leading psychologist, learned last year that all his research on group process in the 50s was funded by the CIA. Quote, token economy and of course, systems were organized and highly coercive forms of group therapy became common. The best known of the latter was Martin Groder's Asclepion Society. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Asclepion Society mm-hmm. in the uh, federal prison at Marion, Illinois, based on a unique combination of transactional analysis and the brainwashing techniques outlined in Dr. Sheehan's uh, CIA-sponsored book coercive persuasion. This program sought to alter the personalities of prisoners through the use of intensive group pressure and thought reform techniques combined with isolation, sensory deprivation, and use of psychoactive drugs. Members of the in-group, known to the prisoners as Groder's Gorillas, engaged in confrontation and attack therapy on the draftees into the program. The principle of the program included isolation of leaders, separation from outside influence and emotional supports, preventing the formation of subgroups and loyalties to anyone but the leader. The controlled use of psychologically ambiguous situations, combined with intense psychological pressure, positive reinforcement for group loyalty and identification. Use of character-invalidation techniques, such as uh, public revilement and humiliation and forced confessions and forced submission to authority and the group's values. Uh, Diet and sleep were at times severely restricted. Unlike other mind-control projects, this was an experiment in the forced alteration of the personalities of groups, of people based on the principle of group interaction. So again, you know, starting to sound like something that, that we're you know familiar with in, in Guyana. Um, I go on here. By the early 70s, the federal government and some states were fully armoured, en, armoured with uh, the concept of mind control, and the sign for more ambitious projects began to appear. Dr. Groder was to take his methods to the new federal prison at but- Butner, North Carolina where experimentation with the psychological, pharmaco- pharmacological, and medical alteration of the personalities of prisoners to be greatly expanded. The proposed center for the study of reduction of violence in California was to undertake a massive program of psychosurgery, aversive conditioning, and chemical castration, expanding the methods already employed at the California Medical Facility Prison at Vacaville. Mm. While the Red Manas. Did you touch upon Vacaville before in one of your episodes? Oh, yeah. You uh, did, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. With uh, Well, I'm trying to think because I know I did a thread on the SLA that talked a lot mm-hmm. about Vacaville. And then I think I talk about it like more just like referring to it in a couple of the FBI uh-huh. versus PTK.
2: Oh, that is that the, Is that the prison where the freeze was? Uh, it uh, sure is. Oh, ah, I see. I see. I'm trying to remember yeah. if Ed Kemper was there too. If if that is the case, then you know that's really good stuff because I have something on not Kemper, but yeah, you you you, you you'll, you'll find it interesting later. Um, all right, so I'm just about to finish here, and now he's going to get into more things connected to Jonestown explicitly. Um, while the red menace seems to uh, seem to have abated. The American public has now apparently faced with the threat of masses of congenially violent citizens running loose, most of them black and other third world members. Only an extensive program of psychosurgery and the immediate expansion of mind control programs in mind control prisons could save, again, the American way of life. Many folks didn't buy it. For years, prisoner groups, the Lawyers Guild, ACLU, National Alliance, and countless others fought against these developments. Those damn pinkos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, pinkos, they're they are like old, like, are they old detectives? That was like kind of like a private detective. Oh, no, no,
1: no. Sorry. Um, pinko is just like a term for like sort of like not quite red communists,
2: but like kind of like. Liberal. Oh, yeah. get mm. it. Yeah. Uh, I see. Um, And uh, unable to stand up to legal challenges, the more ambitious programs were forced into a temporary retreat. (laughs) The prisoners were not the only sites of experimental behavior control programs. Schools and hospitals also received millions of dollars of federal funds for program development. While it cannot be proven that these programs were part of MKUltra, neither can it be proven that 2 plus 2 equals 4 we must use our powers of induction. Recently, the CIA has revealed it has 130 boxes of unreleased mind control documents. Perhaps this will tell more. But then again, <laughs> they only tell us what they want us to know. And I mean, he's saying this like a year after it came out, you know, so he seems to, you know, he knows who, who he's dealing with. Like, hot
1: damn. That was like nothing but fire. Like, holy crap. Yeah, <laughs> And like, dude, that that's so crazy because like, immediately after jonestown yeah people that guy knew exactly what was going on i mean right like yeah sure more details would come out but like Mm.
2: god dang if that isn't basically what happened yeah yeah, i mean he's you know he's got his ear down to the ground he's hearing you know what they what's going on like what they are doing here and uh he will, uh, I, I just read one, oh, whoa, there was quite a few t- more pa- passages here. But yeah, as I said, you know, you, you cut some cut some away if, if there's too much.
1: No, I'm not cutting anything. But I was going to say, uh, Ed Kemper, definitely at Vacaville. Um, also, briefly, I think, Charles Manson, Bobby Bolizal of the Manson family, also Timothy Leary, also, obviously,
2: Donald DeFries and a number of others. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I have one of the others pinned down. If this is indeed the uh, well, did the camper? Did he move around a lot? Like, well, did they like they did sell that with some of these guys, right? That you know they didn't keep. Doing that.
1: Um, I think he basically was like at more or less like one or two facilities, and then he did his like relatively short killing spree, and then he was just like imprisoned the rest. So I don't Ah, think he got moved around. Charles Manson definitely did, though.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Yeah. I'm I'm saving this one for later. You're going to you're going to like the Kemper connection. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Where was I? um, Yeah, we're talking about this pink uh, organization, the Lawyers Guild and stuff. Um, (laughs) uh, Oh, yeah, here. Okay, so one of the curious programs that appeared in the early 70s was one called The Seed. Uh, In 4th, Lauderdale, Florida, the SEED was a rehabilitation program for youths with a variety of problems referred by the court, schools, or parents. The techniques and principles of the SEED were remarkably similar to those employed by the Asclepion Society in Marion Prison. I still don't know if I say this right. Asclepion. Is this a Greek word? or Probably some Greek thing. I don't recognize it either uh including attack therapy, humiliations, intense group pressure, forced confessions, sleep deprivation, and so on, and an extensive spying and informing system was developed an absolute loyalty an absolute loyalty to the group was demanded above family ties i mean that's just far out like what kind of fucking Youth rehabilitation program employs these kind of methods,
1: like Uh, just like snitching alone. That's like so unhealthy, right? Like, that doesn't make you a better person, it's not good for you. It's just like evil Maoism, right?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's yeah, exactly. It's like uh, struggle sessions, but with you know, on crack, (laughs) struggle sessions, but with a cult. Good lord, yeah, yeah, yeah uh problems began to develop parents complained that their children had been brainwashed teachers noticed that uh, seedlings as successful graduates were called had a hypnotized robot-like demeanor and exhibited extreme group loyalties and conforming behavior some complained that it reminded them of Nazi Germany <laughs> the director of the seed <laughs> i mean yeah the director of the seed and uh, Mr. Art Barker, uh, that's kind of funny that his name is Barker, <laughs> had <laughs> absolutely no credentials or background in treatment programs, nor did any of his staff. This did not deter the combined forces of the NIDA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, the HEW and LEAA from supplying the seed with millions of dollars in several years before the parents and teachers of Fort Lauderdale could get too inquisitive about all this federal funding was quietly terminated. And, you know, if you're surprised, like if listeners are surprised that, you know, he didn't have any training, the guy who did this, nor did any of his staff, I will explain this at length later. I found some really good stuff only yesterday, actually, um, where, um, yeah, what he's also going to talk about now in the article, but Synanon and, and, um, yeah, the whole development uh, over there. But, yeah, we'll get there when we get there. Because like Synanon had a bunch of sort of predecessors, right? So that would be one mm. of the main ones, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the seed is uh, is uh, is an outshoot of Synanon, and I think he will say. I think oh, even okay. he says it here later in the in the article. Uh, according to Richard Helms, MK Ultra was terminated in 1974, and the CIA lost interest in mind control. Mm, <laughs> uh, of course. The, file, the files have all been destroyed. Wink. <laughs> you know, you know. The most uh, massive effort ever undertaken in the social and medical sciences, spanning more than a quarter of a century, costing hundreds of millions of taxpayers' dollars, a strategy central to the CIA since its birth, and it was just dropped. Everyone went home. Now, for those who can't quite buy that scenario what did happen around 1974 and so now he says we can only speculate but from what we know of cia priorities and the evolution of mk Ultra, we can make some educated guesses the following re- requirements faced MKUltra strategies avoid further legal confrontations point number one point number two Continue experimentation with psychoactive drugs, which were proliferating in ever more specific and sophisticated actions. Point number three. Continue the research on group dynamics and the reorganization of the personality through intense group pressure. Four. Find experimental settings that could be carefully controlled while resembling real-life situations. Point number five. Expand the research on mass hypnosis. 6. Combined mind-control techniques with forced labor. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, again, he's, uh, he nailed down pretty much exactly what, what we're going to talk about. It is my hypothesis, he says, uh, that at this time, just as in 1961, MKUltra not only didn't retreat, but shifted to a far more ambitious program. It was at this time that the cults began to appear in full force, complete with multi-million dollar financing, highly polished PR campaigns, connection with politics and organized crime, and apparent immunity from investigation by police and other law enforcement agencies. Uh, So, I mean, that's basically, you know, what we just pointed out, right? About this kind of from zero to 120 in, in a weekend. It was also at this time that Synanon, the rehabilitation program for drug addicts and alcoholics took a curious turn, adapting the most extreme brainwashing techniques, while the doctor who brought humanitarian treatment methods to the drug rehabilitation program at Lincoln Hospital in New York was found murdered. Hmm. What is the evidence of links between MK Ultra and Jonestown, he asks now. First, first, the orchestration of uh, cover-up by the military, police, state department and media, which even the most superficial review of the deaths in Guyana reveals, can only be conducted at the very highest level. Similarly, the police, for several years of the press and law enforcement agencies, to close their eyes to report from People's Temple and Jonestown, the sentence doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. No, it,
1: it's, yeah, it must be, like, miswritten or whatever.
2: Yeah, I think I get it, though, I guess. Uh, it's not something that can happen spontaneously. Someone got to them. Can it be believed that investigations were halted by Jones's humanitarian reputation? No, this can't be believed. The apparent contradiction between the very modern and complete medical services in Jonestown and the repressive use of drugs behavior modification and other extreme coercive techniques, up to and including murder, may not be a contradiction at all. We see it every day in the US penal system and in the state psychiatric hospitals. The supposition that the CIA was actively involved in the formation and running of Jonestown as an experiment, modern-day penal colony, may be too frightening to entertain. Uh, But it explains a lot more about the contradictions and mysteries surrounding Jonestown than writing it off as the craziness of a would-be messiah. The drugs, for instance, did not just appear, someone brought them there, with a purpose. It was premeditated. Who did this? How was it done? We know of at least one instance, the seed, and there are probably many more, in which the federal government organized and ran its own little cult group on principles remarkably similar to Jonestown. We know of the involvement of the KCIA, the Korean CIA, which is a subsidiary of you-know-who, with the Moonies. We know of the massive investments in in these cults by right-wing groups. There are some startling parallels between the People's Temple and the NCLC, the National Caucus of Labor Committees, an extreme left group that spun off from SDS in the late 60s and now embraces the extreme right.
1: I must interject just for the listeners' sake.
2: That's the LaRouche cult. Oh, okay. (laughs) Right, so, uh, yeah. NCLC also uses extreme brainwashing and indoctrination techniques on its recruits. It also tried to attract people disaffected with the system by progressive rhetoric and seeming alliance with the left. Its leaders... Like Jones, claimed to be omniscient. And like Jones, he is obsessed, apparently, with a phobia of the CIA. The NCLC is known to most progressive as a police-organized group. All this is not to say that the People's Temple is of the same mold as the NCLC, or the Moonies, or EST. And EST, that's the... One of those... uh, uh, Like that guy, the, that musician Carolina in my mind, like he was, it's some kind of like personal development thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a uh, Werner Earhart, I think, who was basically yeah, right? like yeah. a self help guy.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they use very similar things to. Yeah, like a self help cult, basically. Which, yeah. <laughs> like,
1: sounds crazy, maybe, to people who don't know that much about cults, but then, like, turns out there are a shit ton of self help. Yeah. Groups that yeah. have turned into
2: cults, basically. Nexium is yeah. the, maybe the highest profile one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, when we get to some of those synonym connections later, it seems like, you know, it's really like they, they made some kind of model there, uh, yeah. that, you know, they, yeah. these people are all using, like in one way or another. <laughs> um, so, or that the entire, yeah, he goes on here, uh, Or that the entire organization of the People's Temple and the tragedy of well-meaning people being misled can be explained as a CIA plot. It is to say, however, that we must open our eyes a little wider, get that grey matter working, refuse (laughs) to be lulled to sleep by media absurdities. We know about Cointelpro. We know about MKUltra. We can watch the alarming rate at at which these cults are gaining influence. The line of thinking suggested here Requires a lot more investigation, but it is investigation that must be done, and that's where the article finish. Hot damn! Hot damn! Yeah. So
1: tell, okay. So tell me, this was Leo Ryan's. Who? Ha, what was the relationship again between the guy who wrote this and Leo Ryan?
2: Yeah. So um, Leo Ryan's uh, second in command. After Leo Ryan gets shot, he goes on a kind of speaking tour. Mm-hmm. And uh, which eventually, eventually, you know, culminates in, in, um, in an actual, uh, you know, judicial process against the CIA of some kind. I don't know, like, you know, he, he brings uh, formal accusations against them. And, uh, you know, before he does that, he goes, you know, around to gather support. And at some forum uh, that was, you know, uh, evaluating Jonestown, what was it called? Uh, the psychosocial implication of the Jonestown phenomenon. He uh, he uses this article, which is then made by well, we okay. don't know exactly at this Berkeley psychologist, but it's supposed to be Richard Hofshi. And Richard Hofshi okay. is yeah, and he's also I think you know I I didn't I think his wife or his his closest um, associate at Berkeley also ran the kind of um, we will get there later, but like you know the Langley Porter. Which was uh, one of those big hospitals that you know, pretty much uh, dealt with every survivor from the Jonestown uh, uh, event. They um, that was being done at Langley Porter, and I think she was involved in that, and later he was also involved in that kind of you know reevaluation, trying to fi- find out what happened. Okay, so the article
1: was written by the professor. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like, good lord, I have not heard such good analysis from a professor uh in a long time not not to be a hater right yeah
2: yeah (laughs) i was surprised as well yeah i can i can tell that he you know why he would want to stay anonymous like because that was you know uh, he was on fire as you said you know like Mm -hmm. no no beating around the bush just trying to you know, give you a quick update on, you know, what's the situation here? What's the context that you should be, you know, looking at this thing in?
1: I know we were sort of talking in the DMs about this because, like, <laughs> I, you've you've talked about the death drive in general, um, but we were joking about how it seems like Leo Ryan almost had a death drive, yeah, because he just kept putting himself in increasingly dangerous positions <laughs> until he finally died.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, almost every, like, especially you know the the whole thing that he opens up this article with is the the prison experiments right hmm and leo ryan just you know what did i say you know like he pulled uh <laughs> Leo jenkins and just went in to the prison system got a fake name and and and, and you know got himself uh, detained basically like he was in prison for i don't know how long but it was a month or something absolutely insane <laughs> just to study yeah
1: <laughs> <Are> you <laughs> i mean if you're right what do you think is going to happen like, bro,
2: you could literally get brainwashed. Like, what the hell? Yes! They could lobotomize you when they find out, you know, that you've been lying about your identity and then just be like, well, we didn't know it was Leo Ryan. <laughs> I mean, how... Yeah, that's crazy, man. And he tried to investigate the Moonies as well. hmm Then somebody told him that he shouldn't do it and he was like, really angry about it i saw some transcript and he was like well somebody should do something about them (laughs) and then then, yeah it's just like delegating his own little i don't know you know vampire hunter group within the senate or something like yeah like i don't know okay like i know
1: that that's probably too broad a question and like i honestly mm -hmm. don't know myself but like do you think that leo ryan was like Witting to all this stuff he was clearly looking at the right direction of stuff but then on the flip side he was looking maybe like it almost strikes me as like naive because if any of that's true then they're going to fucking murder you you know right we were joking about how like
2: RFK had died and it had been
1: 10 years. Like, bro, you saw what happened.
2: Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. I was about to say, you know, like, oh, but he's a Senate. (laughs) It's not Mm going to help you in the end. (laughs) It's not going to help you. Uh, I don't know, you know, like, to what, you know, what did he know? Like, that's also like a big thing of uh, Mark Lane, the the lawyer that they brought, like that Jonestown brought in, uh, or the People's Temple brought in to defend them against the uh, concerned relatives. And Mark mm-hmm. Lane was, you know, he was uh, together with Donald Freed, if I remember his name correctly. Donald Freed was the big lawyer who defended all of the, you know, uh, Newton and, and um, like all the big names in, in, uh, in the Black Panther. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, got them off the death sentence, basically. So, you know, both of these guys um, were, were really big names, like, you know, in the what shall we call it, like the judicial left or the legal left. Uh, I think also Mark Lane was the guy, I don't know if he is the first, but he wrote a book that was really famous in the 70s about the JFK assassination. Yeah, he was like one of the main guys. It's crazy. Right? Yeah. And so I don't know, you know, he is, you know, his thing seems to be that, you know, that somebody kept, uh, Leo Ryan in, in the dark about a lot of the things, you know, kind of playing on his naivety, you know, that they hmm. saw that he was this kind of, you know, I'm a Superman and, you know, I, I can't die. So, you know, they kind of, you know, made sure that he would keep thinking that until it was too late, basically. And, um, and he was also, you know, like, I guess the biggest reason for him to be chosen, uh, if he was chosen, was, you know, that... um he, uh, there was this um amendment, right? There was a kind of you know, uh, a, a senatorial um process to defund the CIA, which uh, I think it, the, it carries his name even. It's some act, uh, the Ryan something act. I can't, uh, I have it later, but wait. Um, and this was like one of the last really big attempts, and like, I don't know, obviously, it's, obviously it's a uh it's a um, post JFK uh attempt to defund the uh um the CIA. But um yeah, I mean he wasn't he wasn't their friend. <laughs> Let's put it that way.
1: Not enough people make the connection between Leo Ryan attempting to defund the CIA, Leo Ryan shot to death on an airstrip in Guyana.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally unrelated facts, right?
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> poor guy seriously like he gets no recognition whatsoever hughes uh hughes ryan amendment it was called mm. and this was uh yeah put forward in the
1: no tell me marcus did that pass
2: um let's I'm, see I'm, I'm joking i'm assuming it did right. <laughs> <laughs> i'm assuming that the same thing actually Um, I think in the end it wasn't (laughs) let's see, I'll I'll look quickly Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean the the article says the legislation was meant to, (laughs) so I'm guessing (laughs) nothing ever happened Uh, yeah, as I remember there was something like you know, that uh, I think they did a roundabout thing, as I, you know when I was looking through this whole thing before, I think uh, one of the big thing was that Uh, The CIA was going to have to report uh, before they did anything. They had to report to some, you know, congressional, um, you know, overseeing apparatus within the. They they did pass it. They did now? Uh, So maybe that's why they were so pissed off. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Holy shit. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because that also explains, because I remember then that, you know, that they were, you know, that they found some way not to you know have to report you know obviously you know they got around it somehow but the, uh yeah by uh, basically using contractors increasingly that's mm-hmm. one of the main ways that right, they got right. Around yeah it. you push it out to the fringes kind of the mm-hmm. yeah, the less uh, supervised areas of uh, american intelligence international and national okay yeah then um, right so if we get back to then. You know, now I've tried to or, I mean this basically established the uh the, the the footground of the investigation, right? Like it's not that wacky of a thing to assume that there was something more, you know, it's not conspiratorial even. I think, you know, here's a professor at the university laying it out for us. So
1: yeah, a professor and then like Leo Ryan's second in-command sort of like aid basically, yeah. both right. being like, Yeah, it's like the CIA.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and uh they weren't the only ones like um so i have a a list here of other people that you know directly after it happened so rebecca moore whose uh, sister died in in, in jonestown uh and she's the organizer of the jonestown institute you know that you uh, mentioned in the beginning uh where, where we have all the archives and everything uh together with fielding mcgee and she wrote in her book Certainly the CIA's information on Jonestown might help answer the question. Did it have fore- foreknowledge of the suicides or of the assassination plans? Did it encourage the paranoia endemic in the community? Did it set it up? Did it set up Ryan for a hit? If it did not know about Jonestown, why didn't it? Was the number of drugs present in Jonestown sufficient to characterize the project as a mind control experiment? And did the CIA sponsor the experiment? I mean, yeah, that's what she says. Uh, well, that's what she's asking. Yeah. And then in the workers' world, uh, which is, I think it's the, um, it's one, yeah, labor union uh, um, newspaper, right? Like, a pretty far left.
1: Yeah, I think it's Trotskyist newspaper. But let's not hold that against
2: them. <laughs> no, no, I mean, they, uh, they, here they, uh, at least they're, you know, maybe they get a lot of people to sell, uh, to buy the magazine at least. I don't know if that's the same thing in America and Europe. Trotskyists are known for like showing up at every demo and and trying to sell magazines. I don't know if that's what they do in America too. Oh, Marcus, it is exactly the same here too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> at least there's a consistency despite all the splits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's nice to know. Then, yeah. So they ask. Uh, in their headline, what kind of covert program has the US been carrying out in Guyana? Question mark. Uh, and what re- what possible rela- relationship might they have had with this fantastic event? Question mark. Right? And then the Black Panther Party answered the question a week later. We charge genocide. <laughs> Headlined <laughs> editorial in December 2, 1978. Hells yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the editors listed salient coincidences in the in the death of uh, Peoples Temple, the discrepancies in the body count during the first week, the physical appearance of the bodies, and the similarity of drugs found in Jonestown with those used in the CIA MKUltra mind control experiments. And then finally, the Chicago Defender uh, then charged that one Temple member, Phil Blakey, had served as a mercenary and a mercenary recruiter for the Union for the Total Independence of Angola, UNITA, the mm. uh, CIA-sponsored force in Angola. Blakey allegedly allegedly worked in the African country in 1975 and remained in touch with people uh, in the mercenary world. And uh, yeah, we'll get back to that later because uh, you know one of the places that Forbes Burnham was explicitly calling out to was, uh, Angola, uh, that they should, you know, have UNITA training in, in Guyana. So, yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, actually that list, I have such a long list, like it just keeps popping up things, you know, about guerrillas and, and, you know, paramilitary, uh, death squads, phantom death squads. Like there's loads of, of, of weird, uh, you know, weaponized groups in in Guyana around this time, which uh, raises a lot of questions. Didn't uh, transmissions from Jonestown, that's, you know,
1: just where I remember it from. They talked about there was a different cult not that far away from Jonestown.
2: Yeah, the the House of Israel, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a really interesting story because that guy was like... um, He was uh, um, the guy who founded it. He did it slightly different than Jones. He wasn't um, like he uh, in um, Jones. You know, took his people from the U.S. right and started uh, and you know continued uh, the operation in Guyana. Whereas this guy, I think he fled uh, from America, um, Carolina or North. I can't remember where he was from, but I have it later. And he was um, he was um, he was like a black capitalist. Who had been involved in some kind of uh, fraud with McDonald's. They wanted <laughs> to, like, you know, have like black people running their own McDonald's in this, like, very black area. And there was, like, yeah, a lot of, like, back and forth. And somebody even got murdered, like, in their, his closest associate got murdered in, a, in his own garage, like, right to when the deal was supposed to go, you know, through or something. And it was like, yeah, very sketchy. And then he flees the country, right? And then when he gets to Guyana, He basically like, you know, he recruits only or mainly uh, Guyanese black people, like not anybody from from the US. And he and like this group, the House of Israel becomes a kind of uh, uh, parapolitical paramilitary force of Forbes Burnham, you know, carrying out extra judicial killings and, you know, strike breaking. And like all of these things that you know, the CIA mm. were bragging about that you know went so well in Guyana in order to put you know Burnham in place. So basically, just the Guyanese Moonies. <laughs> yeah, 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 something like that. Interesting. Yeah, I mean they were they were violent. Yeah. There seems to have been like you know development of them that you know is lasting even till until today. Where, where you know there is something. Uh, called the Phantom Death Squads today in Guyana. And I was reading like blogs from like Guyanese, uh, you know, uh, um, people who live in Guyana now and talking about, you know, what's the situation in Guyana 2022. And they are still, you know, they're running amok over there, like, you know, carrying out the same things like they did back in the 60s and the 70s. Like, Um, but yeah, we'll get, there's some more interesting things over there, but we'll get there when we get to, to Guyana and the and the guerrillas in the in the jungle of uh, of the least inhospitable place in on on the planet, <laughs> um, yeah, a good place to hide things if you wanted to do some experiment. Uh, right. So what was you know like I, I made a little list here, like trying to sum you know su- before we get to like Jones' own history, like trying to sum up like what was it you know that upset all the people like right after you know uh the event that caused you know all these you know alternative theories you know why wasn't anybody believing what was being read in the in the in the in the news and uh and there's like a a short little uh day by day account here from the same penal colony article earlier where yeah on so on november 18 uh after a two-day visit, Leo Ryan and others are assassinated at the airstrip uh, that is on the evening of November 18th. And then Guyanese soldiers stationed there refused to get involved and no help arrived until the next morning. <laughs> and they say that this is because there was no light at the airstrip. I'm like, okay, maybe. Like, I can understand it. They, you know, they're probably, you know, shocked. Like, what? Like, here, Americans are killing Americans here in Guyana. You know, are they, you know, how many are they? You know what kind of weapons do they have maybe we should not engage the, you know immediately but it, it's yeah still a little bit odd mm. then uh, the morning of november 19 help arrives and and ryan's group is evacuated but it's another 24 hours before it occurs to anyone to check out the colony one hour away by jeep or a few minutes by helicopter uh and colony you know being jonestown right then the bodies, already de- decomposing, are discovered. Remarkable, he says. Uh, and I'm also a little bit, you know, I get it, you know, it's it's the jungle, it's very hot, and, you know, they're lying on the jungle floor, but really they start decomposing in 24 hours and you can't tell? Like, I mean, it's going to go on for longer, but, but it, yeah. Um, then on November 20th, 409 bodies are discovered and an additional 500 are reported missing having escaped alive into the jungle it is presumed for three for three days over 250 u.s air force personnel other military and intelligence investigators and Guyanese military personnel searched the jungle for for the missing 500 people Um, journalists except for a selected few are forbidden from the scene Uh, on november 24 So that is four days after they start searching. The officer in charge reports the body count could reach 780. On November 25, he reports the final count as over 900. So he's asking here how to account for this mystery. The original number was a miscount. The Guyanese don't know how to count. There were bodies (laughs) lying (laughs) there. I mean, they are so racist. Like also... Like there's this one guy I read the newspaper articles of, uh, one of the journalists who was allowed to go in, you know, with Leo Ryan, uh, which is a whole story in its own, you know, they were not supposed to be allowed in there. And then, you know, somebody just, you know, brought them anyway, which just, you know, ramped up the paranoia even more because these were like the people who had been, you know, throwing shit on them in San Francisco for, for the longest time. And, you know, yeah, Mark Lane really emphasizes this as a kind of, you know, this was, uh, Even that guy, uh, Timothy Stowen, who was the leader of uh, the Concerned Relatives, Mark Lane has him down, you know, having, you know, quoted a saying that uh, Jones will overreact. We can count on it. We can base our strategy on it, is uh, what he said. And so, you know, he knew Jones better than anybody else. He knew that Jones had been, you know, rehearsing uh, Project White Knight, like the, the final ultimate. Uh, white knight and so you know when he says Jones will overreact I think he knew what was going to happen mm. and there's you know I, I talked a little bit more about him in, in, in my show but yeah so I mean okay so the racism like uh, there's one guy there uh, for I think yeah from the Washington Post who was supposed to be the South American you know correspondent and he has supposed to have been there for three years yet when he comes into Jonestown there's like, you know, fields of cassava growing over there. And somebody, you know, he's asking like, oh, what are all these plants? First of all, (laughs) cassava is like the most easy plant to recognize. You know, it has got like very like (laughs) cannabis looking leaves, right? And then, you know, the man even explains to him what it is. And then the guy asks, oh, so what do they use it for? I mean, what? How can you have been a correspondent in South America for three years? I get it if you're, you know, living in like i don't know nebraska or something you've never heard about cassava before but this guy's supposed to be an expert on like south america and there's not a country i think i mean in southeast asia anyway like it grows everywhere and everybody's eating it and i i I don't know you know it just it goes to show like what kind of people were were brought in you know and the insularity yeah 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 and they were just you know complaining about everything like oh i wish i was back in you know in uh trinidad at my hotel sipping a mojito than being in this dirty place like when they're right you know i'm gonna write my jonestown saga now like ah like why did you bring <laughs> these people here like you know they're just gonna upset everyone and of course you know they did but uh yeah so this you know the counting of the bodies right so he goes on that it's you know pointing out that it took. You know, are we supposed to believe in brief that it took a search party of, let's say, 500 military men and police uh, agents three days to discover that the missing persons they were searching for were lying dead right at their feet? You know, and once they made this discovery, it took another 24 hours for these same 500 people to count them all. You know, they would have had to count one person each, right? Because the the count was 400. Now it's up to 900. So 500 people, counting that you know, it shouldn't take 24 hours and it shouldn't take three days to discover that many missing people. Um, That's what he's saying, anyway. And I and I tend to agree. I think there's something you know, people, almost everybody touches upon you know the body count one way or another, and and there is something strange about it. Like you know that there's no getting away from that. I think. Like there, there are photos.
1: Lord knows, most people just know the main photo, sort of. Mm -hmm. I think it's shot from the air. But, like, to my knowledge, I don't think there are photos of, like, that scene several more times to where you could literally, if you just sat there, count every single, you know, thing as a person and get to 900. Like, I don't think that there's proof that there is 900 people, like 900 corpses there.
2: Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I mean, some have also pointed out that even if there is 900, there are, you know you know, social remarks in, uh, you know, conversation with outsiders and with, you know, letters back home, where sometimes the number 1,200, uh, you know, l- people living in Jonestown is is uh, suggested, uh, which is, you know, that's not in the official record of Jonestown itself, it seems like, yeah. when you look at, like, arrivals and people who are registered. But I don't think everybody who came there was registered as well, you know? Like, some yeah. of these people were probably like uh, ex-Black Panthers who didn't want to be registered ever again, you know. And also a lot of literal,
1: like former drug addicts and just homeless people. They took in a ton of that, too.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, And uh, so, you know, a lot of strange and one really thing that, you know, freaked me out was that, you know, the Jones like Jonestown itself had ID'd everybody before this happened, they had yeah. ID wrist tags on, on their arms. I mean, that's fucked up. Like, that's some clinical shit. Like, why mm-hmm. did they do that? And those ID tags were removed later by, by the investigating force. And when some like the, the man who was in charge of the, the investigation, when he was questioned about this on a radio channel, uh, he said, I, I didn't do that. I didn't take away the ID wrist tags. That would have been stupid of me to do that. You know, that would have saved us a lot of trouble. It, it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. We, you know, we we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, wow. Um, and uh, I guess also another thing was, uh, I mean, of course, it's another thing. That, you know, that doctor um, who was there, the first doctor to come there, the Guyanese guy, Dr. Mutu. Um, you know famously he said you know he was the first to point out that you know he thought that seven hundred of these people at least had been murdered. you know mm. that the, you know this wasn't a suicide like because because of the uh um the um needle puncture wounds on the uh on the places where they couldn't have done it to themselves, and so you know people are speculating a lot about you know how that happened you know like what what is the, was it this kind of like coup de grace or you know just uh People who, who were like, you know, some people I've read, you know, who, who survived said that a lot of people were just sitting like in trance, just sitting on their chair, knowing, you know, don't, you know, shell shocked, which I would have been too, I guess. Like, you know, I just saw 130 kids being murdered, basically. Like, do I have even dignity to be alive anymore? Like mm-hmm. having been part of something like this? And they're just sitting there and, pe- you know, the nurses are going around giving them a needle shot, which is also, like, you know, just obscene. I mean, that's a whole, you know, that's a different picture than, you know, uh, uh, you know, a cult member following their leader, I think. But, um, uh, right, so, but even, you know, (laughs) I guess, you know, for for the uh, crime scene investigation, you know, aspect of this, it, uh, he, we aren't like we can't even speculate, or they couldn't even speculate, because all the findings by Dr. Mutu, which he brought to the U.S. embassy, that was never forwarded to the doctors in America who were later doing the autopsies. Uh, so, I mean, he, I think somebody was again asked about this at the um, at the embassy, and they just said, you know, oh, we don't know what happened to those, that information and i think about 3 months later or something dr motu flew to america and was allowed to speak at a conference with you know all these doctors that had been you know a part of the team who were doing the investigation and they were all saying you know this was a complete mess we we couldn't do anything you know because the you know the the bodies have already been decomposing they were embalmed and uh, i think in the end like this is also you know only 9 out of all these 900 people ever got an autopsy and of those 9 I think it's two or three that it could be, you know, clearly said that, that there was uh, this was cyanide poisoning. Mm-hmm. The rest, we, you know, we only have circumstantial evidence. And the circumstantial evidence is also so strange because even in the vat that, you know, the famous vat where they had the, um, the brew, there was no cyanide found in that vat either, which, you know... That's easily explained, though, by like, you know, that cyanide breaks down in heat and stuff. And they did find cyanide in some of the syringes. But it's but still, you know, like it's there's so many, you know, just, you know, repeating what the doctors themselves said. You know, there were so many fuck ups done, like in this whole autopsy program, you know, that that, you know, they they'd never seen such, you know, maltreatment of of uh, of evidence before. And they are very surprised when Dr. Mutu arrives three months later. You know bringing forward his knowledge you know having been the first person on site trying to with you know a handful of assistants uh you know i think like less than yeah less than a handful like less than five trying to you know do an autopsy on 900 people in the jungle uh without you know the proper tools and everything and um you know he yeah it's just like yeah, a mess basically and I think, like, I really like this, you know, angle. I did talk about it in my own episode, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, I mean, everybody knows about the death tape, right? Yeah, I think the average listener probably knows something about it, yeah. Right. And, but did, do you hear about, now you listen to my show, so you know you know about the mystery tape, right? Yes. Tell, the, <laughs> tell my <laughs> listeners what the mystery tape is. Yeah. So the mystery tape is well weird. Among all of these, you know, you know, uh, which I mean, it's already weird in itself that there are so many tapes of the Jonestown, you know, whole journey, right? Like I, I, I pointed it out in the Discord, you know, to the good, to the good people of, of, uh, the program to chill, uh, Discord, um, that, you know, you become like, a, you can become a Jonestown, you know, member if you want to. Like you just sit and listen to hundreds of hours of these tapes. And among these hundreds <laughs> and thousands of, <laughs> it's kind of
1: like it's kind of like I started listening to all of the Nixon tapes a while back, like several years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just in the White House, and like well, halfway through, I was like, like starting to like feel a rapport towards Nixon, which is totally right.
2: fucked up. And it's
1: just like, yeah. what the heck is <laughs> going on?
2: <laughs> I I am that I am the silent majority. I, <laughs> I know. I, <laughs> I feel it yeah so uh yeah i mean it really does happen you know and it, and it does you know say something about you know how quickly you know someone you know how you can quickly find yourself in another milieu than that than you are used to
1: no don't think about it with <laughs> podcasting don't make that connection keep listening to both our shows
2: yes yes obviously you want to be programmed to chill come on man. that's what we're here for uh right so uh the mystery tape then you know among the yeah like this you know case load of case load of tapes there is one tape that is made after the event which is just what why and that tape according to some you know audio technician at the jonestown education institute he says that that tape is not made in jonestown itself so you're like is this some kind of you know token you know like like you know how serial killers like to put a little you know token at the scene of the crime right or Mm. uh like a little bone like a collector thing like I, i i don't know you know even you know without any theory the the tape itself you know due to its very nature is an accentuation mark and so you know you gotta ask yourself like what is it accentuating you know what is it telling us well, it's a tape, so it is speaking. You know, it's a talking object, and when you listen to the tape, um, it's um, it seems to be that there are a group of people sitting in a in a radio room listening to uh, recording or uh, sorry, broadcastings of the event itself, and so you have two Chinese news reports and you have two American news reports. The people listening are quiet throughout the entire tape except at one point when somebody says uh somebody the news reporter on the news you know broadcast is interviewing some official uh some political official who says that there is going to be autopsies and we're gonna you know we're gonna perform autopsies on on everybody and to find out what happened and when he says that somebody in the radio room who's listening says shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's all the mystery tape is. That's like, it's, it's almost like you want there to be more, obviously, you know, like you'd be so good if there was like, you know, you could listen into some, you know, planning or plotting or anything. But at the same time, it's so freaky that that's all that there is on the tape. And so you're wondering, you know, right? At one point there were supposed to be autopsies. We're left with no autopsies. What happened in between, you know, why, mm. why no autopsies? Um, right. So, I mean, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that does it for the, I guess, the introduction to the whole, um, you know, what is, the, wh- what is the legacy of the theories around Jonestown, I guess. Uh, and, and now we, we have to begin our own journey <laughs> and, and try to <laughs> put some things together. Okay. Okay. Where were we now? Okay, so um, this part is a little bit, I guess, like um, uh, like a recap to a degree, because you did the street revival, so you went pretty deep in on our good friend William Branham, right? Is I am mm-hmm. saying that name right? Is it Branham. Yes. All right. So, but I- I'll do. You know, uh, pardon me if there is, you know, if you've heard this very recently. But there is going to be some new things. So, who was this William Branham? Well, let's um, let's set the stage, right? Like right after World War II, there was a kind of uh, new revival, like among the Pentecostalists. That is, I guess, the most broadest, you know, or you could say charismatic uh, Christianity. I guess would that even be broader? Evangelists, you know, (laughs) a love child have many names, right?
1: Yeah, I think the way it would go is sort of like Pentecostalism is mm. a broad movement and then like the charismatic movement is sort of a subset that mostly
2: overlaps with some but not all of Pentecostalism. Yeah. Yeah. And then an even smaller subgroup of that is the uh the William Branhamites then who called themselves the uh, the Latter Rain movement. And mm. um, yeah, and 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 so Bradham had this, uh, you know, uh, a modernized teaching of what you know he called the serpent seed doctrine, uh, and he was the most significant proponent of this teaching outside the Christian identity movement, uh, which you know, and he directly influenced their theology. You could say that you know the latter rain is a kind of it is the same thing as the Christian identity movement, but their approach is very different, like. Branham was, he was baptized and ordained at uh, the at First Pentecostalist um, Baptist Church, which was uh, pastored by Roy Davis, the, one of the, or the founding member of the, and the late Imperial Wizard of the Second Ku Klux Klan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and they maintained a lifelong relationship, Branham and Roy Davis. The, I mean, but the, <laughs> the difference is that, you know, Obviously, the Ku Klux Klux Klan is not going to have any, you know, minority members or, you know, like black or Hispanic or Asians or anything like that. Whereas the Branhamites read the Serpent Seed Doctrine slightly different. And okay, so maybe I should explain what the Serpent Seed Doctrine is anyway. Like I heard actually about it uh, from, you know, way before I went into the, you know, reading about Branhamites uh, or the latter rain uh there was some i had a greek friend or not, not a friend but uh, a greek guy who was sitting in on my class sometimes in university like he wasn't enrolled or anything but he just he thought he'd be there and like you know stir up some shit like starting to like <laughs> discuss things with people <laughs> and uh yeah he I, later i find out he lived like in a in a shed And he was pretty successful at like milking the subsidy program. So he had been getting like subsidies for like the last (laughs) 15 years or something. And so they paid for his uh, like that shed and they paid him like, uh, I don't know what he got. Like, uh, let's say like uh, about a thousand dollars each month, something like that. So he could survive on that. And he had two dogs. And he told me like one day he just sat me down like after class and he was like, so you do know that Eve was raped by the lizard man in the Garden of Eden, right? <laughs> like, I'm, te-
1: I'm telling you, like this, this like specific type of ideology goes hand in hand with just like being on welfare and hating people on welfare,
2: right? I mean, that, that is the most that is the most absolute nuts thing I've ever heard. Like I was like. <laughs> Is this guy, like, is he serious? I, I, I've been, you know, I've been suspecting as much for a long time, you know, that you mm-hmm. are the kind of guy who, who thinks this. But, uh, you know, are you making a joke about yourself or, you know, uh, he was very serious. And I think Branham and his people, they were very serious as well. So that, uh, you know, due to this rape in the Garden of Eden, um, there, were, there were two lineages of uh, human beings populating the earth right and one is from the serpent seed and one is from the human adamic seed and it's pretty much the races you would expect yeah yeah of course <laughs> knowing that he was buddies with the clan or whatever yeah yeah and and i think like but the difference like you know their racism is a kind of even a more cynical one than uh, than the Ku Klux Klan, because at least with the Ku Klux clan you have or the kkk you have the uh you know, when, when Mao speaks about, uh, you know, in his uh, cast away illusions and prepare for struggle speech, you know, when he says that, you know, it's good if, if we are attacked by the enemy. That just means that we've drawn a distinctive clear line between us and the enemy. It's even better mm-hmm. if they, you know, paint us, in, you know, in, the, in only black uh, uh, colors. Then that only means that, you know, we've achieved a lot in, in our own progress, like in our own work. And, you know, with the KKK, you would have such a relationship, you know. It's clear the KKK is the enemy. Do not, you know, do, do not fraternize with them. Whereas with the Branhamites and the latter Rain, they kind of thought, you know, that they could incorporate the children of the serpent seed and save them, you know. They have this idea that there's going to be a rapture right before, or that Christ is going to return before the rapture. And so that they can, you know, it's their duty somehow, you know, to save the, the children of the serpent seed. Whereas, you know, the KKK and the uh, Christian Identity branch would be, you know, they wouldn't associate with them whatsoever. And so this takes some pretty, you know, strange turns, like as when we study the Branhamites. So I'll, I'll try to get to, through that, but um uh, um uh, there was one. I, I had one other thing also, like where is the other? It's kind of an interesting like story. Like where does the serpent seed doctrine come from? Like in the American popular milieu of you know the Branham. and it seems to be like the, this uh, the British Israelism theory. Oh yeah, right. And uh, and this is like a fundamental part of the mythology of uh, Anglo-Saxon Nazi Nazism, and so the founding father was uh, somebody called C.A.L. Totten. And he was a military officer. His father was a brigadier general in the Missouri Milita during the American Civil War. And his grandson would become lieutenant general, lieutenant general during World War II and the Korean War. So again, you know, like your old thesis of like all history is family history. Mm-hmm. Here you can see like how, you know, how did, how did the U.S. military become, you know, so... Such a white supremacist, you know, machinery of, of violence. Like, it seems pretty, like, you know, clear that, you know, not only with CAA of Totten, obviously, but, you know, you have the, the spider web chart later, you know, with, um, Amos Fries of the chemical warfare division. And, like, you know, there were a lot of these people who were, like, you know, influencing the, the upper escalons of the US military to be anti-Semitic and to believe in, you know, this kind of serpent seeds shit.
1: Yeah, like, we see a lot of the, like, there's almost, like, several different, like, strains of anti-Semitism, right? So, like, the white Mm -hmm. Russians are very much, like, a specific thing that comes from, like, Russian intelligence from, like, the Russian Empire. And then, like, this, like, basically, like, British-Israelite thing that, like, kind of weaves in and out and becomes Christian identity is, like, this other, like, variant that is, like... You know, Mm -hmm. it sort of sometimes intersects, but it's like has its own history to it.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can't have a can't have a national like a Christian identity movement with uh, you know if your ur text or like your founding document is the Elders of Zion written by some Slavs, right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you gotta have your own mythos. Gotta have your own thing, and like, yeah,
1: it's it's funny because British Israelite stuff. I'm super well acquainted with actually because Mormonism. I've I've said to some people that Mormonism is like the friendly, nice, not super evil version of British Israelitism, oh, yeah, which is basically that like, the idea is that like, there were like 12 tribes of Israel and like, they were sent all over the world and you know, there were like lost tribes, mm-hmm. you know, we know yeah. where the Jews are. But like, where are all the other tribes? The idea is that some of them went to the UK and that literally the UK, like the British, such as they are, <laughs> are like part of like the, like they are a tribe of Israel. Okay, yeah. And therefore are like, you know, an import, just as important as the Jews or maybe more so, depending. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then like Mormonism sort of, weaves some of those ideas in but like doesn't take it nearly as like evil or fucked up as
2: these people do yeah well yeah thank god for that don't we have enough of them already i think like Mm -hmm. uh, uh yeah so so now why are we you know yeah why are we talking about this yeah well he he funded and popularized jim jones right in the in the early early days and um and he has, you know, everything is already, you know. Jones didn't emphasize so much the uh, the serpent seed doctrine, but he did really emphasize, you know, the apocalyptic and the millenarian, you know, side of this whole uh, project. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, real quick. And but, yeah. sorry, just before we get too far away from
1: Branham, I wanted to say so. Branham helped launch the career of Jim Jones.
2: Yeah, and I have a long list here. Oh, okay. I'm not gonna like drop him already. Okay. Okay. Never mind. I'll let
1: I'll let you get to it
2: then. Yeah, I have a long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I remember that you mentioned in yours. Uh, maybe the most f- famous one is of course, uh, Colonia Dignidad, right? In Chile. Paul Schaefer. Paul Schaefer, <laughs> who's you know, not just anybody, right? Like it's so eerie that the, you know, the first person you look at, who? Okay, so who else is connected to Brown Arms? And then it's like. It's Jim Jones' evil twin, basically. Like, it's yeah. an even, if possible, worse person than, than Jim Jones, doing pretty much exact the same thing. Worse, yeah. probably, because
1: his career went longer, right? Not, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like, how do you even weigh that, right? It's like yeah. 900 dead people versus generations yeah. of, like, kids getting raped. Like, uh, yeah. Okay, let me just say for the listeners, so Paul Schaefer, Colonia Dignidad, that was a nazi colony in chile i don't know if schaefer explicitly well i I, like i know he wasn't a official member of the nazi party back you know during like world war ii but i know nazis were there after his doctor was right yeah i think his doctor was like yeah uh, but like we're talking in chile a town where they only speak german like a walled town we're talking buildings with tunnels such a t- tunnel system that they literally couldn't catch Schaefer because he would just escape from one tunnel to another. Like,
2: like they like, that.
1: yeah. And like the the Chilean government would use Colonia Dignidad to like torture and disappear people. He was like mm. getting children from Germany, just like insane levels of like depravity. And so like, yeah, it's like okay, nine hundred people dead or that. Like, which is worse? Mm. Who knows?
2: Yeah, exactly. It's just pest and cholera. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, um, I mean, oh, did you see by the way? Did you see that Emma Watson film about the uh, Colonia Dignidad? No, I've always meant to see it. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of good. I really like the guy. the The guy she plays against. Uh, he's the guy, the German actor who's in. Uh, did you see? Um, uh Goodbye Lenin.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, 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 that guy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's cool. And he's... Oh, is he plays Paul Schaefer. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's uh he plays somebody who's put in the in the colony and he's, he's trying to escape from there. Oh, I geez. can't remember what Emma Watson's role is. Uh but yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, he's not Schaefer. He's the good guy. I was gonna say, you know, being Mormon, like
1: I knew people who like Either went on missions all over the world or whatever. And so, like, yeah. I knew a guy who served his mission in Chile and he, like, was in an area near where Colonia, Colonia Dignidad was. Oh, fuck. And, like, he, like, heard about it. And, like, everyone oh. was just like, no, like, and, like, don't go. There. Missionaries do not go there. <laughs> Nobody goes there.
2: Yeah. I mean, they could have had mines around the whole thing, right? Like you're just coming there for a little peek. It's Honestly, it's crazy yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, it's the. Uh, I mean, they were m- way tougher. It seems like on security than than Jones was. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. they really, they literally had it run as a concentration camp. Like, I mean, it was you know, it was the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. Um. All right. So a list of like other, you know, and and the, here's the thing, you know, why, you know. If you Already now, it's starting to seem like, you know, maybe Jonestown and Jim Jones wasn't that, you know, big of an abnormality. Like, uh, if, you know, here we have another person funded by the same movement and the same person, Branham and the latter rain, you know, does the list go on? The thing is, <laughs> it does. Like this doesn't, it, it seems does. to be all these people do, like I don't, they don't they don't seem to be doing anything else than getting people away from society and putting them in some, you know, camp or a, that immediately becomes some Nazi shit. Yes. And, and you know, pedophilic sex rings and whatnot. So, OK, so I'll, I'll do I'll do little. There's two big ones, like modern time ones. So I, I I try to like organize these into like first generation Branhamites, second generation Branhamites, and yeah. third generation Branhamites. Like uh, I would say that first generation would just be Branham himself, I guess, and like you know the unknown people who are you know making sure that he has all the money that he has. Uh, and then second generation Branhamites are people like Schaefer and Jones, and there are some more. And so these third generation ones that are like you know popular today. Uh, we have one who, in 2014, called uh, Pastor Donnie Reagan. Uh, maybe you heard about him because he's in America. And he's like an end-time Pentecostalist. Mm-hmm. He made news in the United States uh, right, for promoting uh, some racial teachings. And several news outlets labeled him as the most racist pastor in America.
1: Which is like some pretty steep competition, if we're being honest.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it, it's it's one hell of a title. Like you're going against like the Westboro Baptists and so forth yeah. and literally like the yeah. Aryan Nations Church. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, uh, and here, you know, again, being the most racist if he is or if he's not the thing with, you know, what makes him different from like the Aryan Nation and the KKK is that he he's really big on the spiritual colonialism in Uganda. I went onto their homepage and it's just a fucking long list of churches that they are building in Uganda, mm. and we're gonna get back to Uganda later with the guerrilla and stuff, uh, because it seems like you know they are there now, but they were there also in the seventies, and they were you know there's some some weird things going on in Uganda with uh, Idi Amin and, uh, um, yeah, uh, I'll leave that for later. Let's do some more brand hunts. uh Kako Kako Philip. Uh, probably a f- kind of French name. Uh, he um, he's a black leader of Branham's follower in the western part of Africa, uh, especially the Ivory Coast. And he was arrested in 2017 for hate speech and sentenced to one year prison after preaching in multiple African nations that blacks should be submissive toward whites. Uh, and Philip insisted that decolonization of Africa was a sin and that Africans can only prosper when in servitude to Europeans. So was that guy himself black? Yeah, and he's uh, he's black. Good lord. Yeah. I mean talk about, you know, what kind of you know cognitive dissonance do you have to implement into someone or in, you know interpolate for him to be, you know, actively <laughs> doing this on his own time. And so uh yeah, then we yeah, we said Chef already. And he also um so now we're back to the second generation ones, like I only had two from there. That seemed really interesting. He had the um a uh, Zimbabwean uh, Epstein figure named uh, Robert, Robert Martin Gombura, who mm-hmm. was sentenced to 50 years in prison for running a locked gate community called the Independent End Time Message Church. I mean, don't join that kind of a church. Listeners, <laughs> Listeners, do not join End Times
1: anything, okay?
2: Yeah, it's just don't. And uh, yeah, so from, from its own compound, Basically, he was supposed, you know, he supposedly had a hundred wives in an elite brothel, um, which included illegal pornography. And I'm not sure, like, if illegal pornography, I think actually that in Zimbabwe, pornography whatsoever is illegal. So it doesn't mm. necessarily have to be, you know, what is illegal in, in, in you know the West. But still, you know, he has a hundred wives. And then, you know. Yeah, certainly some of them were probably underage. I mean. Yeah. yeah, given how they're...
1: all cults are basically,
2: mm-hmm. and you know he got fifty years in prison as well. So, um, so you know this is somebody who was helped, and you know he helped him launch and popularize this Zimbabwean mission. Uh, Branham did, mm-hmm. and then he also founded and helped uh, Leo Mercier, Mercier, who set up yeah. something called the, yeah the Park, which was another pedophilic abusive commune in Arizona. And, you know, they drew members from all over the U.S. And in connection with the park, I saw a picture of somebody at the park when they were setting it up, uh, who was, uh, this was a guy who Branham also uh, founded. And he was a Sri Lankan named uh, Paul Lasser Laurie uh whom uh, he met on his first Bombay tour in the 50s. And in the years between 1960 and 1967, Laurie became the first famous Indian healing and evangelist of stature and the role model for all others to come. So big you know, Pentecostal churches in India up to this time were mainly staffed with foreign speakers and uh, you know, now he was a native Indian or a Sri Lankan and he was um, you know, nobody before had drawn such crowds as, as he did. So uh, um, when Branham died following a car accident in 1965 Laurie uh, wanted to become the new leader of the second generation and so he founded an end times ashram in india oh lord (laughs) and get this with more than 50 german-speaking people from europe and nearly 30 from north america who joined manu jotti ashram during the summer of 1971 and unlike the hippie dropouts who were usually you know on the way from the west to india these were well-settled middle-class people Uh, With families and you know quite a a few of them over 50 years of age and they gave up their jobs sold all their belongings and booked the next flight to India and from the founding of the ashram and this is you know I told you a little bit like you know this is some of the numerological or you know esoteric stuff but from the founding he preached that the world was coming to an end in 1977 which is you know the year when Jones did his first white knight
1: hmm yeah yeah like why did why are these guys all on the same wavelength and why is that yeah. wavelength specific about a date right
2: yes like it's it's not not even joking that 1977 1978 keeps popping up as some kind of you know big rupture for these people yeah uh, exactly who who is doing the frequency so
1: okay, you know Marcus I did my episode uh premium episode 37 where I talk about the holy rollers, the Branham and all of this stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I argued. And at that point I was being, I guess, what's the word? I wasn't a hundred percent sure this was the case, uh, that (laughs) the auto companies were backing most of these, uh, preachers. Mm -hmm. I have now come into more evidence (laughs) to suggest that, the auto, the U.S. auto manufacturers were funding these preachers. Like, I am now comfortable
2: asserting that to a high degree of certainty. Yeah, and that pretty much ticks the you know the biggest box in the penal colony article. You know, where did all these cults all of a sudden get? You know, you know, mm-hmm. how do they go from zero to one hundred twenty so quick? Well, if you got like you know Ford backing you, then there's going to be some ka-ching to <laughs> spend on you know Bibles and. I don't yeah. know, electric fences, and the Ford
1: Foundation is pretty much a cutout for just c i a funding too,
2: so. yeah, yeah, and they are big on like that's you know uh, we talked earlier about uh you know with um with the green Revolution that you know what's gonna do later, they keep mm-hmm. popping up there as well, you know in the beginning, Interesting. They are, yeah, yeah, they are so well you know yeah. <laughs> they are so deep into that stuff. Um, I think like single-handedly Rockefeller and the Ford Foundation uh, I mean they literally started the whole thing in Mexico with uh, you know the first uh, um, seed development uh, uh, institutions and programs over there but yeah that's a completely different story the, um, the story, <laughs> the story mm-hmm. though with uh, let rain, uh, it does you know you think you know it should stop there you know there shouldn't be more Oh, and real quick, just, Brandon, where was he ministering and operating? Indiana. Okay. Sus, Indiana. Check. Keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And, I, I mean, fuck me, Indiana comes back again and again in this story as well. Like, it's mm. uh, like I wasn't even, you know, believing you in the beginning when you kept going on about Sus, Indiana, like, throughout your episode. I know. I'm convinced. I, I, I'm convicted now. Like, I'm starry-eyed every time I hear i know
1: like i just finished or i'm about to finish writing an episode where i just like lay out all the indiana stuff yeah and like it makes sense to me now i can explain it it would <laughs> obviously it would take like an hour so i'm not going to right now but like
2: yeah, i'm looking forward
1: to it i i I figured out why it's sus Indiana. <laughs>
2: Okay, good, good. I need to know, honestly. Yeah. I, ha- I have one pretty good, like, uh, I think it's a substantial thing, but yeah, we'll get there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> right, so yeah, I already, you know, mentioned this, you know, here I had him else, you know, the, the difference between the KKK and the and the Lateran you know, how, how they seem mm-hmm. to, you know, they, they are the same, but their their praxis is very different, you know. One incorporates the minorities and the, and the other one shuns them, basically. But, you know, they're both, you know, extreme racists. So another second generation Branumite of the latter reign was Sam Fife of the well you heard it before the end time ministry. You know he does it simple, just the end time ministry. You know no long (laughs) fanciness like just the end time ministry. In the fall of 1971, believing the tribulation and the second coming of Christ was near, Fife began to preach a message that the end time saints must go to the wilderness, to the place God has prepared for the for the woman. Soon after, thousands of his followers left their homes, jobs, and security and moved to Canada, Colombia, and Alaska I think this is Colombia the state, right? Like, not the country, to establish uh, communal farms in isolated areas. These, quote, end time farms, end of quote, were the beginning of a new direction of Fife's ministry, which he later brought to Peru and Guatemala, where he died in a plane crash in 1979. Um, That 's another weirdo, mm-hmm. and here we come to the maybe the most interesting one, Mr. C. Peter Wagner, another ultra right wing fundamentalist who is preaching what the movement calls quote strategic level spiritual warfare end of quote <laughs> <laughs> and you know in the literature, this sounds like you know some kind of astral plane stuff you know uh they 're just fighting demons through prayer uh however, I found. Quite ample evidence that these people were, you know, they were there in Africa, Uganda, among other places, you know, training child soldiers, basically. Uh, But, you know, again, I'll do that when we get to the guerrilla stuff. But, you know, just remember this guy, Peter Wagner, because, yeah, he operated in, in South America from the 50s to the 70s with a group called SIM, which has ties to New Tribes Mission which today has changed its name to Ethnos 360, which is such a syndical name, after it was revealed that the organization operated a sex trafficking ring by capturing Aboriginal girls in the rainforests of South America, which, I mean, that doesn't get darker, I think. I mean, that's how depraved you have to be that you go out into the jungle, find these people who have never had contact with anybody else, and then you just bring them into modern society by, you know, making them a sex slave somewhere that's yeah. like, oh, it's, ugh, it gets so sick to my stomach. When I think about these people, like, uh, when, you know, less disgusting, but more common things is that, you know, they also engaged in industrial espionage and are linked with, you know, most U S embassies and the CIA, uh, mm. you know, operations in, in South America. And, uh, In one book that I read, which I really highly highly recommend if you want to, you know, read some of these disgusting things, it was called uh, The Missionaries, I think, by Norman Lewis. Um, He says that the SIL and the New Tribes Mission uh, basically divided the whole of uh, South America between them. And um, they were especially welcomed in, you know, quote, backward Latin American countries' governments under dictatorial regimes. Uh, and here, minister, missionaries were accorded the status of government officials and the missions, you know, were given large tracts of lands and contracts to settle and civilize Indian tribes. And uh, between these two organizations, the SIL and the NTM, uh, um, they got, you know, ample funds at their disposal. They even had their own air forces and, this, you, know, to, you know, to be able to get into the jungle and uh, a smoothly efficient organization of uh, multinational corporations and several thousand missionaries uh made sure you know that this was going on in the fields and he says i never met a bolivian who did not regard the summer institute of linguistics as the base of cia operations in bolivia and so yeah that's the (laughs) sil (laughs) i mean that that's a good one um Alfredo Stroessner, the Nazi dictator who made uh, Paraguay a safe haven for the likes of Mengels, gave the NTM 2,500 hectares of land to help prepare Indian land for white colonization and genocide. Uh, according to Norman Lewis here. And so, yeah, that's the new tribe's mission, right? Which is uh have direct connection to this Branham guy, Peter Wagner. Apparently, they, they ran a kind of radio station together. Uh, somewhere in uh, Bolivia, where they were like, you know, transmuting uh, in in native languages um, to get, you know, the message, the good news across. I guess. Um, yeah. What else do we have? Um, yeah, like
1: all of this strikes me as very much more relevant to understanding Jim Jones than mm-hmm. I don't know Jim Jones larping as like a communist. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like he like would be like yeah i'm a communist and then he would just proceed to do nothing that communists advocate <laughs> in yeah.
2: terms of like you know political action right i mean he's very convincing and i would even you know i already said you know like I, there are times when i've been like you know i'll join <laughs> sign me up but uh at the same time you know He's, you know, he's doing a lot of like the first time he comes to Guyana, he's speaking about, you know, how communism is the enemy of the world and that, you know, that they need to, you know, uh, throw out all the missionaries of Guyana who are preaching communism, basically. And so, you know, he does, you know, a lot of 360 moves on his own, this guy, throughout this story. And maybe we can come to some conclusion as to why he's doing that later.
0: You think that you're strong when you're always straining You think that you have when you're only playing When I got near All I saw was you And I know that you tried to fight And you cried because you died